Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. It's me, Marcus, and him, Andy. What a delight it is to be here, as always, Marcus. Oh, you twinkly-eyed gem, Andy. You'll be pleased to know that there are some questions about football that are coming your way, big boy. Are you excited? As always, as always. Yeah, exactly. You're always in that same chirpy, delightful mood, Andy, and it's to your (laughs) great credit, my good man. I'd like to to start off straight away uh, with this uh, uh, email here from uh, Danny, who says, I had a question about Turkey. As Istanbul Bazak Shahir won the league last week and broke up the dominance of the big three clubs in Istanbul, only Besiktas are even in the top three. How did this come to pass? And how has this been perceived in Turkey? Could this be the start of a new period of domination in the Super League? Mm. It, it is worth pointing out, Danny, as you say, this does feel like a moment. And um, part of the reason it feels like a moment is because Bajik Shahir are only the sixth club in the history of the Turkish mm. Super League to, to, to win it. Now, that is, is not insignificant by, by any stretch of the, the imagination. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think we, we, we have to say it's a moment, and it's a moment that's been coming um, because there have been challenges for the last couple of years. I mean, a, a penny for the forts, I suppose, of uh, Abdullah Avji because uh, he was the coach who helped build it from a club that you know, wasn't even in the top five in Istanbul, really, mm-hmm. um, to a club that has felt emboldened to put Istanbul before its name, um, partly for um, uh, sponsorship reasons and partly because they've come a long way in a, a short time. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, with his experience, of course, for, former Turkish national team manager, um, made them come a very long way. They couldn't quite hold on towards the end of, of last season and Galatasaray swooped in and, and took the title. Um, but I, I wonder what Abdullah Avji is thinking now. Um, the fact that um, Okan Buruk has, has, has come in and ended up winning the title that he did so much of the the, the work for because yeah. um, Avji did so much to, to to put this squad together. Um, they're a very unusual club um, that they play, um, as we were saying, on the outskirts of, of Istanbul in one of the suburbs, um, which is what Bajik Shahir is. And um, they, they play in a, a stadium of 17,000 people that they very, very rarely fill, um, even when they're playing other Istanbul clubs and you've got more away fans than home fans. It's, it's, it's still not full up, which, um, which really says something. Um, having said that, I tend to think, and I've always thought about, I bet you didn't think Wimbledon were going to worm their way into this question. <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me at all. If Jonathan no, no, probably, probably Wilson not. can get, if, if Wilson can get Sunderland mentions in, you know, flipping Red Star Belgrade versus Bayern Munich, then Andy, nothing surprises me anymore, quite frankly. It is very much Wilson that I have uh, taken my cue and my inspiration from in this instance, yeah, Marcus, as I know you've instantly recognised. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think the, the, the thing that's, that, that's notable about um, Wimbledon in their current situation in, in League One Wimbledon are in League One, not, I would say, because they necessarily got a League One standard team and certainly not a League One infrastructure at this point because they're very much um, remnants of, of, of non-league in, in, the, in the club infrastructure. But because if you're in League One or League Two, 
if you can go along pretty sensibly and running a fairly tight ship financially, um, being on the ball budget-wise, um, you will go up simply by staying in the same place because there will always be teams around you who are going to do unbelievably daft stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's very, very comparable to Bajik Shahir. They've been steady for a number of years now, um, getting into to European competition, um, getting the right sort of players um, to create a culture and create habits. I think those things really, really help as well. Uh, I, like I said, I don't think you can separate um, Avji from what's happened this season. But you look at the the, the players that they've they've got the best out of, and um, the, the players with, with the experience that's worked out for them. You, you go from McGunock, the, the the goalkeeper, but you think of also the other ones um, in the squad, and these are all the thirty somethings, by the way. Yeah, uh, Alexandra Epinaru, um, Aliero Elia, who was at Juventus and Feyenoord and, and Werder Bremen. Then you've got the ex Premier League ones. You've got uh, Clichy, Skirtle, Dembaba, Robinho. Robinho, um, come on! I mean, he's he's not been a starter very often for them this season, but having someone like that around the squad. When you think of the ages of these guys as well, Gokhan Inla is in the squad. Yeah. I mean, him and Rubinho, both in the latter part of their 30s now. And then you look at Gaio Clichy, 35, Demba Bar, 35, Martin yeah. Skirtle, 35, um, Mehmet Topal, 34. And this is something that has not been, it's, it's not, it's, it's the opposite of say, Altenordu, which is a bright young um, coaching and player development project. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this is this is something else, and really, just I think the sang froid of those players, the experience of those players, has really really worked. It does make me wonder though where they can go next. Going back to Danny's question, because there's not really much scope for development with this team. And now some of these players are out of contract. Will they even stay on next season? Will they defend the title, the Super League title? Will they? playing the Champions League group stage with, with Bajik Shahir. We really don't know yet. I mean, even Edin Vishka, who's really been their leader, he's their um, top scorer or joint top scorer with Denver Bar, and he lays so many goals on. I mean, there was even a, even a campaign on, um, I think, Facebook to name the stadium, which is currently called the Fatty Terim Stadium, rather oh, yeah. bizarrely. Um, the, 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 to, they've got a campaign to maybe rename the stadium after Edin Vishka. Because he's been absolutely brilliant for them, the the, the Bosnian wide player. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, when I say campaign, um, let's not get it twisted. There's not a lot of Bajic Shahir fans out there, so <laughs> we're not yeah. talking about a tidal wave of public emotion here. <laughs> um, the thing that's interesting to me is not only how many of those players can they hold on to, and Vishka's definitely staying, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, I wonder what that will happen with Skirtle. Demba Bar has scored some really vital goals in, in the running. But the younger players who've caught the eye, the ones in their 20s like uh, Fanjan, like um, Enzo Crivelli, who came over from France and has, has, has chipped in with his fair share of goals and leads the line in a very robust number nine type way. I could definitely see the bottom half Premier League clubs having a, a little look at him. But I just wonder, to an extent, if this is a title win by default and if they might continue mm. to dominate by default. 
because you look at the financial situation of a lot of the other Turkish Super League clubs and what's really gone wrong for for them this season. Um, obviously, Galatasaray didn't manage a great defence of their, their championship. I think the hiatus was... They were probably the team affected by it the most. Um, mm-hmm. They won what one game after after coming back from from the from the stoppage, which is extraordinary, really, for a defending champion. They had a ton of injuries, which didn't really help them. To key figures like uh, Fernando Muslera, Radamel Falcao, um, and it was really a threadbare team by the end of the season. And they've only just hung on to to European qualification. But Fenerbahce finished out of the European places yeah. again. Uh, Bajiktas made a late run to get themselves into third, which because Trabzonspor are banned from Europe actually works out to be a, a Champions League place. Um, but Bajiktas, again, are, are, are really interesting because um, it, that was where Abdullah Avji was fired from earlier in the season. It went really, really badly for him and they they, they moved on uh, from him. He got fired in, in, in January. And um, Sergen Yalchin, uh, came in to, to, to manage the team. And Sergen Yalcin said after they qualified for the Champions League, look, I know people are excited about it, but let's be honest, we're far more likely to promote players from our academy than we are to to sign players because as stands, we can't afford to pay our current players, which is why, for example, um, Loris Karius moved on. Um, mm. And he was he was having a super old time in Istanbul, off the pitch really? as much as uh, off the pitch as much as on it. It has to be oh, said. Okay. But, but how uh, has his performance has been though? Uh, well, he made a lot of high profile errors, but um, yeah, yeah, he, he did okay. I feel sorry. Um, I still feel sorry for him, Andy. That's all I'm, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he was he was he was a good goalkeeper who, um, when it looked like he might make the um, next step, made some of the biggest mistakes of his, of his life in the, in the biggest game of his life. And yeah, mm. I think, I think you have to have some sympathy for that on a human level. Absolutely. Um, but it was, it was one of the reasons that he moved on because they weren't paying him basically. They, they, they mm-hmm. stopped, they stopped and he, he, he went um, to FIFA to complain about it at one point before they came to a, a sort of settlement because he was, he was enjoying being at Bajiktas and living in Istanbul very much. So if you think, of the level of debt that these clubs are, are running. And in that sense, they never seem to learn their lessons. Now, there's been a lot of discussion in Turkey recently over whether the current member-run model should continue because basically presidents get voted in, promise mm-hmm. the earth, spend a load of money that's not theirs, and then leave. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a growing call for there to be private investment for there to change the, uh, um, the Turkish authorities to change the rules of these clubs so someone else can take the heat rather than an elected president come in, come in make a huge mess and then walk away scot-free without any of it sticking to him or her. Um, so, I mean, there's no doubt that Istanbul's biggest clubs, Turkey's biggest clubs really have to get their ducks in a row, really have to change things up because a little bit of stability at the moment goes a very, mm-hmm. very long way indeed. And this could be Basak Shahir's big moment, Edin Vizca. The hero once again. And with two minutes to play, Istanbul Basak Shahir finally take the lead with a comprehensive penalty. That uh, um, question was, was emailed into otc at footballramble.com, so you can use that channel, ladies and gentlemen, if, uh, if email is how you like to... Uh, 
to live your life. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, Andy, damn it all, I'm going to ask you a question because you 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 spoke about Turkey there, and and obviously Istanbul, Bazakçı here breaking up the. Uh, the big three in, in, in Turkey and whatnot. You know, the, Portugal is not too dissimilar to that. You obviously have no. three teams, well, two teams really dominating, I suppose, sporting, haven't won the league for about 18 years, something like that. Uh, and th- this year was was no exception. You know, um, Porto um, won the league. But the big news, Andy, is that uh, the guy who you think I will look like in, uh, I mean... Every every time I think about this, the the the, the number gets smaller. Ten, <laughs> twenty years, I don't know. Uh, take take your pick. Um, Jorge Jesus is uh, is coming back to town, isn't he? He's finished in uh, Brazil and he's been he's he's on his way back to Portugal. He is, and it's it's a big deal for for Benfica. It's a big investment as well. Um, spending a, a lot of money to get it all to happen, and the full investment that Benfica are making. Um, to bring in uh, Jorge Jesus, pay compensation to Flamengo, which is about two million, and get all of his coaching team, which was the last sticking point between Jesus and uh, Luis Felipe Vieira, the president of Benfica, mm-hmm. twenty-five million over over three years, which by Portugal Portuguese standards is absolutely humongous. I mean, he's already yeah. the, the the best paid coach in Portuguese league history because mm-hmm. after he had that brilliant first season for Benfica in 2009-2010, there were whispers that Porto would come and take him away. And so Benfica locked him up with this huge salary, which was absolutely unbelievable by Portuguese standards. Now, when he left Benfica and he went to sporting, he got even more money because um, there's um, a Mozambican um, investor on the sporting board who sporting didn't have the money themselves, but he said, okay, I'll cough up for George Jesus salary. So he got an even bigger salary. Then he's clearly been doing all right at Flamengo. And now mm. him and his very heavy suitcase full of cash. I'm sure it's not cash. I'm sure it's all wired. Um, are coming back to, 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 to Portugal. And it was always really his short to medium term aim to, to come back to, to, to Portugal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- w- when things um, fell apart for him in, in Portugal, he went to Saudi Arabia because he thought it would be a short-term moneymaker that he could walk away from. Now, mm-hmm. Flamengo came up, so d- different things happened. And obviously, that's only augmented his reputation, which is absolutely at an all-time high. After the, the league win uh, for Flamengo and uh, the Copa Libertadores win, and you've got to bear in mind the... The, the, the size of, of, of Flamengo is an absolutely enormous club and it is the same sort of stature of club in Brazil, which Benfica is in Portugal. And, you know, you've, you've been to Lisbon, you know that um, mm-hmm. the red half of Lisbon and Portuguese people in general who aren't Porto sporting fans always claim that seven out of 10 Portuguese support Benfica. You know, they're an yeah. enormous club with this great European history. Um, what what is clear is there's an enormous amount of pressure on him to get this right next season though um much as they're delighted to have them back and it shows that they really mean business um we have to say that um they will feel that they should have won the league this season um if you go back to what february um 
they were seven points clear of, of Porto. In the end, they ended up losing the league by five points. And that's I mean, that only... is ridiculous in Portugal. That is absolutely mad. It, seven it points lead. I mean, that should be good enough as it is. And then to yeah. lose it by five points, my goodness. Yeah, and, and that only because Porto lost a game that they didn't need to win on the final yeah. day of the season. <laughs> you know, so it, it was it was eight points going into going into the final day. What Sergio Conceição has, has, has done at Porto is amazing, to win two titles in three years, especially against the background of uh, F- their own FFP problems, the fact that they needed to make further cuts. The fact that the current Porto squad, whilst having some good players, is nowhere near the equal of what Villas Boas or Josualdo Ferreira had, let alone Jose Mourinho. So um, it's, it's, it's an incredible achievement by Porto. But they're going to have to sell again this summer. Um, mm. Pinto de Costa, the president, said that before the coronavirus outbreak, he'd lined up 140 million euros worth of sales. Um, mm. And players like um, Alex Teles, uh, Suarez, um, Lots of others, uh, Musa Marega, will, will be on the way out if they can find if they can find or resurrect the right deals for them because Porto need the money. There's no doubt about this, and um, you know Pinto de Costa faced a challenge from two other electoral candidates in the um, Porto presidential elections this year. Bear in mind he's been in charge for forty years because people are worried about the financial state of the club. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really hot topic. The fact is, because of this, and you can add Danilo to that list of players we were talking about before, um, we've no idea really what sort of team Porto will go into next season with. Um, Benfica, I imagine, will stay pretty stable. Of course, they did well to to cash in last summer on Joao Felix. Not that they really had an option once Atletico paid the clause, of course, but um, they got a, a record fee for him. And yeah. that is where Benfica have overtaken Porto in the last 10 years because they've been so much better at selling players. And Porto, I thought of those ultimate transfer market hustlers, but well, they're not anymore. And Benfica have learned how to monetize the club in terms of selling players, in terms of their TV rights, of course, uh, the club holds on to those rights rather than selling them to a TV company. So the only place you can see Benfica's home league games is on Benfica TV. And, you know, it's, it's widely watched now and it's, it's changed into a, a whole other phenomenon because, because of that. Um, but Jorge Jesus will be expected with the squad he's got, with the financial backing he's got, uh, to win the league. He'll be expected to have a crack at the Champions League, not to win it, but to make inroads in it. And he was incapable of doing that before. In fact, for a lot of Champions League games, he played a weakened lineup because he wanted to protect his good record in league competitions, mm-hmm. um, which was highly controversial at a club, which really protects its image of, of, of being a, a yeah. Portuguese giant in Europe. You know, if it wasn't for them winning the European Cup in, in 61 and 62, well, would Benfica be the biggest name in Portugal? No, no, they wouldn't. That is the reason they are the biggest name in Portugal. Mm. Um, so he has to do something better um, there. Also, this time, he has to make the most of the academy. Now, last time, he tended to favour experienced players. I only really saw academy players as collateral to generate transfer funds. He wasn't so keen on playing those players. So if you look at, say, André Gomes, played, what, 15 games um, mm-hmm. 
uh, in, including some appearances for Benfica before um, before he left for Valencia. Then mm-hmm. you look at Bernardo Silva, one first team game before he went off to to Monaco, and that was a thing for Benfica supporters thinking we're producing talents, and obviously it's hurt them deeply that these guys have gone gone away, and especially Bernardo Silva is one of the best midfielders in the world, and yeah. Benfica fans, you know, they're realistic. They realise that, that if you've got a Renato Sanchez, he's going to play for one season and then leave mm-hmm. because that is the way that Portuguese football works. But this time, Jorge Jesus is going to have to blood these players in the first team. Can he do that? It's a different job from the one he did last time round, but he's getting paid way more, almost double what he did the first time. So the pressure on him is absolutely immense to get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right. I'm looking forward to having him back in Europe, Andy, I've got to say. And I was delighted for him when he won the uh, Copa Libertadores with yes. Flamengo with those two late goals, of course. Uh, it was a shame for um, uh, oh, uh, River Plate, was it River Plate? Yeah. I mean, really, um, it was it was very much like when United won the Champions League in that they yeah. were the best team in the competition, uh-huh. shit in the final, but pulled out yeah. two late goals to win it anyway. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Glorious. Um, Andy, let's uh, finish uh, from... uh, It was another email. Uh, This is from Richard, who says, Hi, Marcus and Andy. Emailing in from a lockdown Melbourne. All right. He said, My Aussie rules team, Hawthorne, lost one of their key forwards a few weeks ago due to a foot injury he sustained while cooking salmon. He spilled... (laughs) He spilled hot oil on his foot, a burn that later became infected. I, Fair enough, that's, that's not all, funny. Yeah, that, that isn't funny, but I like the detail of cooking salmon. He just could have said cooking, but we needed to specify what was in the pan. Uh, just wondering, what is the weirdest football injury you've heard of? The stranger, the better. Cheers, Richard. Well, I, I don't know about you, Marcus, but the first thing that sprung to mind when I was on this was uh, Santiago Cañizales and his aftershave yes. bottle yeah very and well known one yeah what is it about keepers dropping really heavy stuff do you remember dave besant dropping the salad cream on his foot that time no yeah that, that um did for dave besant as well i mean the thing is it's the most humiliating injury really isn't it mm. if you're a goalkeeper dropping something on yourself and injuring yourself i mean it's fine to be ever Bonega. i mean we're getting into a bit of a valencia Blind Alley mm. here, aren't we talking about Candy <laughs> Thales and uh, Ever Benega? Ever Benega, mm. who was partying in Valencia um, last weekend without a mask and uh, not social distancing, but a very good dancer, <laughs> nevertheless. We yeah. were talking quite recently, weren't we, with Jim about him running over his own foot when he was filling up his car and he forgot to put his handbrake on. Well, that's quite an embarrassing injury, <laughs> but it doesn't key into a fault in what's meant to be one of your main skills. So if you're a goalkeeper and you drop something and injure yourself, I mean, that's, oh that's really He missed the World Cup in 98, was it? That he missed through that injury? Or, or 2002? One of the World Cups 2002, that yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah I, that is... Uh, he must... Because he was a good goalkeeper and he would have been in contention. I don't know if he would have started, but he was definitely up there. That, that injury is like... I feel really bad hearing that even now and you think he missed out on a world cup through this very very unfortunate thing what you want is you want to make a great save and you dived in but the forward you know in 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 doing something heroic to make sure you won the game or something you picked up one of those injuries that sadly can happen but it's such a cheap way of of missing out yeah it, it really is and um 
Well, I, I think uh, thinking of Santiago Canizares makes me feel a bit yeah. sad for Valencia anyway, because yeah. he recalls this incredible era where they were, oh. you know, Champions League finalists, the Liga winners, mm-hmm. and he was terrific, and he was a huge part of that. And you think how far they've they've fallen since the end of this season was an absolute shambles for them. Um, yeah. Of course, Javi Gracia coming in as the the, the coach now. And, um, you know, coaches get sacked. I realise that. I don't necessarily see, as some do, a coach being fired as a big black mark against their reputation. Mm-hmm. But how, how often do you get fired by Watford and, and, and then pick up Valencia? It says a lot about where Valencia are. <laughs> yeah. I, right I, I think, and, you know, I think... Gary he's Neville new, managed them. Well, I think Javi Gracia will do a better job than him. I'm, I'm going to yeah. say that right now. And... Um, Gracia is someone who is, is really, yeah, is, is really tactically thorough. So I think he could be pretty good for them. But they've already made clear that their ambitions are significantly scaled back from mm. from where they were. Like, there have been talk of uh, cuts of up to forty um, percent on on the playing budget, which again is, is 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 pretty tough. And the difference between coaching Valencia and Coaching Watford is you can't borrow players from Udinese for nothing. I think as as, as well, you look at um, you know the, the expectation of Valencia. People always talk about that, um, and you know the, the pressure that the players feel from the Mastaya. Um, but I don't think it's unreasonable given the trophies of the past, and mm-hmm. given the fact they do have this great stadium because the new one still didn't get built, obviously. Um, and because they've they've had some great players and, and coaches there down down the years, so for them to be in this position where, you know, they've done really really well, um, especially under Marcelino, um, and and with Nuno before that as, as as well, getting back into the Champions League in the Champions League just this season, not in Europe at all next season, and there's still this feeling at the club of certainly amongst the players and the fans, of why did we let Marcelino go? Like, what an absolute mess this is. Of course, the interesting thing is, once you leave a, a La Liga team mid-season, you're not allowed to coach another Liga team in that same season. So maybe right. on one hand, it's a good thing because, you know, you don't have the coach that you fired come back and rub it in your face with his new team. On the other hand, you're maybe <laughs> sitting there thinking... Oh God, he's, he's sat on his ass on his sofa when he could be doing a lot better job than the current guy, yeah. because Albert Felades was a massive downgrade for for them, and you know what a good player he was in in, in his day. But you know the Valencia never looked together; they never looked um, mm-hmm. the, the more. Well, they never even looked the equal of the sum of their parts, let alone more than it. Uh, for most of this season, even though there's a lot of talent on the books, when you look at some of the leaders going. Um, you look at Ezekiel Garay has, has left. Of course, he's had his injury problems. Uh, Danny Parejo um, is one of the ones who was told before they play Leganes a couple of weeks before the end of the season um, that the, there was a, a clutch of players who were told um, like just before the game, oh, yeah, we don't need you anymore. Uh, if you get your agents to look for another club. It's just no way to treat people. Yeah. There's no sense of... Um, there's no sense of tact. There's no sense of timing. And Danny Parejo, not only has he been their best midfielder for a long time, 
Um, a great set piece taker, of course. Um, possibly the best former QPR player in, in La Liga at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's the fact that even now, after everything that's been done to him, he's saying, well, Valencia's my home. I don't want to leave. I want to try and work it out. And you think at a time like it's, it's so lucky to have a guy like that. Of course, the owners won't realise this at all. They'll probably end up selling him in a really small deal. And I wonder if Sevilla, for example, who were very interested in him in, in, in a couple of years ago, could resurrect their interest in him. Of course, they're going to be losing Eva Benega, who um, after he's finishing, partying his ass off um, hmm. back in Valencia. And after he's finished, you know, maybe winning the Europa League with Sevilla again, who knows? Um, he'll be off to the Middle East. So Parejo going there would be an interesting little move. And if Valencia seem hell-bent on giving him away, well, that, that'll be something that Monchi would quite fancy, perhaps. Yeah, I'd say so. It's I, I, I've been to Valencia, Randy, and I'm and I've known yeah. that you have as well. It's a nice yes. place. It's an underrated Beautiful. city. It's got this sort of microclimate as well, where you can almost guarantee yeah. a certain sort of sun, which is pretty good. Yeah, and it's got a great big old beach. Not the most sort of attractive of beaches, and I don't mean that it's crap, but as in it's um, almost like one of those big sort of Baywatch Californian style beaches. If you if you see what I mean, the the the, the water is warm, ladies and gentlemen, in in the summer, the old Mediterranean. So if you're 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 um you know if that's how you you like to party then then get involved. But there's but the city's got a lot going for it. I'm surprised it's not a bigger tourist destination. No, I mean it's it's kind of a hidden Barcelona in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. With yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with with the culture of the city, with the, with the beaches, as, as as you say, there are only two things that I don't like about Valencia. Apart from mm-hmm. the, the, the current running of the club, obviously, which is quite upsetting for their for, for yes. their fans, uh, the, the, it's the the last time I went there with my kids, and um, you know, obviously, I'm quite a a, a pale skinned, very mm-hmm. sort of Irish looking man. Mm-hmm. Um, an old man came and patted me on the back as I was walking mm-hmm. towards the sea, and said, "Hola, qué tal, blanquito," which is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you, Whitey? Nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is fair enough. Uh, the, the other thing is, when you get patatas bravas there, instead yeah. of you having that spicy terracotta like coloured sauce that you have in most patatas bravas in Spain, mm. I do it in tomato ketchup. Mm. I mean, I can't have that. I just can't have that. Cry me a Mediterranean, Andy. <laughs> Um, I, li- I like the fact that you have the uh, menu del dia, the menu of the day. Yes. You get two courses. It's dirt cheap. It's bloody lovely old job. Um, although everything does seem to shut down. Certainly I went in summer, which is a, a terrible mistake because it's baking hot there. But everything shuts down between like, the hours of one thirty and 4 o'clock with good reason. You have to but, rush uh, for your lunch, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is an element of that. But once you know that, Andy, you know, you can... You can stroll about the place like the Fonz. Don't wear a exactly. jacket. And, uh, you'll exactly. Exactly. Valencian paella is a different level as well. But it's where paella comes from, Valencia, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes, it is. Is it chicken and rabbit? Is that the that's the vibe? Yeah, normally. Normally. Yeah, normally. My goodness. Well, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to The Mailbag. It's been a pleasure having you with us. Andy, 
a, a, a particularly enjoyable uh, mailbag there because I find with Turkey and Portugal, that's where you really kind of uh, uh, put a lot of clear blue water between you and lots of the other chasing pack. So uh, lovely to hear your thoughts about all that. And, uh, and and we're all off to Valencia, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's a good idea. Andy, hey. see you next week. I'll, I'll, I'll see you on the Playa de la Mar, 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 Marbariosa. Marbariosa? Yeah, why not? See you soon. Marbariosa. Marbariosa, that's it. Goodness sakes. Ciao.